is Inside the Writer's Head. In this podcast, you can expect conversations with writers, book lovers, and creatives of all kinds. Your host, Tara Shea Nesbitt, is the Cincinnati and Hamilton County Public Library's Writer-in-Residence for 2024. The Writer-in-Residence program promotes writing, creativity, and literacy while furthering the library's mission of connecting people with the world of ideas and information. Hi there, welcome to Inside the Writer's Head, a podcast that features conversations on books, writing, and creativity. I'm Tara Shea Nesbitt, the 2024 Writer-in-Residence at the Cincinnati and Hamilton County Public Library, and I'm also the author of two novels, The Wives of Los Alamos and Beheld. Today, I'm so thrilled to kick off the first episode of the 20, of 2024 with Yaley Sawita Kamara. Yaley's written one of my favorite all-time poems, Be Say Do, which is the title poem of her brand new book, Be Say Do, from Milkweed Editions. Be Say Do was the winner of the Jake Adam York Prize and was recently featured in the New York Times Book Review, so awesome to see that. And Ross Gay called it, I think quite accurately, a prayer for us all. Um, I will note here that we are recording this session in the makerspace at the downtown main library. And this space, this recording room is available for all. So you're welcome to use your library card. Come on down and make a recording yourself. Yeli Saweta Kamara, PhD, is a Sierra Leonean American writer, educator, and researcher from Oakland, California, and um, is the Cincinnati and Mercantile Library Poet Laureate. Um, this fall, she joined the English Department of Xavier University as an assistant professor. She's also the editor of the anthology, What You Need to Know About Me, Young Writers on Their Experience of Immigration, and the author of A Brief Biography of My Name and When the Living Sing. She's won many fellowships, and she's been published widely, and she received her PhD in creative writing and English literature right here at the University of Cincinnati. And she also has an MFA in creative writing from Indiana University Bloomington and an MA in French Culture and Civilization from Middlebury College. In between her studies, she worked in the field of social justice, specializing in educational access and arts facilitation. She has lived in France, Brazil, and the U.S., and has a particularly soft spot, she says, for Oakland, Washington, D.C., Paris, and the Midwest. Yaley, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> thank you so much for having me. <laughs> it's my pleasure. Um, I didn't prompt you ahead of time, but before we get into questions, I'm wondering if you could read Be Say Do so listeners can hear that beautiful poem and have your, have your words in their mind as we talk. It'd be my pleasure. Be Say Do. While sipping coffee in my mother's Toyota, we hear the bird call of two teenage boys in the parking lot. I, one says, besaidu, the other returns as they reach for each other. Their cupped handshake pops like the first fat firecrackers of summer. Their fingers shimmy as if they're solving a Rubik's Cube just beyond our sight. Moments later, their schwins head in opposite directions. My mother turns to me, revealing the milky John Waters mustache-thin foam on her upper lip. Waiting them bisay, bisaidu, not English, she asks, Tickled by this tangle of new language? All right. Be safe, dude. I pull apart each syllable like string cheese for her. Oh yeah, 
Demnago Padi, she smiles, surprisingly broken by the tenderness expressed by what half my family might call thugs. Biseidu, 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 we chirp in the car, then nightly into our phones after I leave California. Biseidu, she says, as she softly muffles the rattling of my bones in newfound sobriety. Biseidu, I say years later, her response made raspy by an oxygen treatment at the ER. Biseidu, we whisper to each other across the country. Like some word from deep in a somewhere, too newborn pure for the outdoors. But we saw those two boys do it, in broad daylight, under a decadent, ruinous sun. Biseidu, Biseidu, we say. Biseidu and split one more for the road. For all the struggle, tumble, drown. Biseidu, we say. To get on the good foot, we get off of the phone. Tight like the bulbous air of two palms that have just kissed. Thank you so much for reading that. Um, I I first heard that poem about a year and a half ago, and I just loved it. And I was thinking, what, you know, I need to talk about why I love it. So like, but my first reaction is just pure emotional. And I think it's because you have this um, shared um, recognition and care that's witnessed between two people. And then it moves forward and passes on and passes on through your mother, you, uh, the speaker and their mother. And then, um, and then we move forward in time to see the recognition of hardships or struggles, you know, new sobriety, mother in ER, mm. and how this becomes this thing that just carries with us. So um, I guess my question is, how did that poem come about for you? And is the way that it emerged similar to the way other poems emerge for you? Or was there something different there? Yeah. Well, thank you so much for that. And that's that's exactly I mean, the way that you described it is really like how it feels and how it felt for me to think through the poem. And I would say that it is similar in the sense that um, as the creation of other poems that I'm not really a prolific or quick writer. I'm not a hot take person. Shout out to people that are. I just I just kind of move a little slower. <laughs> and so this experience, um, which is based on um, a real event happened between my mother and I um, five years before I was able to write about it. And so it's something yeah. that kind of, I think, gathered moss, you know, and, and it's something that we were able to think about this language and it, we were able to use this language in all these different contexts. And so um, we knew that we witnessed something special um, when it happened. I just didn't know how much more special it would get um, from that experience. And so I think it struck me as something that was powerful and I think maybe what is different about this poem is sometimes you witness like something miraculous or for me often is by myself, but to witness it with someone who understood the power of language in that same way and who mm-hmm. taught me the power of language was really special to have that. Yeah. And was that so uh, do you think poems often will gather moss, as you say, for the for your process? For me, yes. Yes, I yeah. think. And it's uh, that, you know, you've got a million ideas, but there's some just fade away and they come back and others just stick in this stuck with me and I was like I gotta write about that gotta write about that and it's like you it it carried from from two states three states from California to Indiana to Ohio and it's finally Ohio occasioned the opportunity to write about the poem mm-hmm. oh wow yeah. were you um were you was there a time for you when you were like I'm going to be a writer and did you start with some other thing like so for instance I I had song lyrics is the thing that I first started with and I had basketball and then basketball was the thing that I like stopped growing and I couldn't do it any longer. And then like I, and then I returned to writing in this other way. And I'm, I'm always curious to hear how people have their first obsessions or if poetry was like, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be a writer. Yeah. I feel like 
insofar as like obsession I think for me like maybe like the sort of foundation of for me becoming a poet was uh, being an observer and as being an observer by virtue of the fact that my parents were from Sierra Leone West Africa and I was born in America but I'm in California but I was always observing trying to understand what culture meant there's something that my parents like cultivated within the household which was like you know this satellite Sierra Leone like in our house in North Oakland and then you leave outside of the house and I'm I'm in Oakland and I'm in the Bay Area which is like one of the like most fascinating and kooky places to grow up you know and and, uh, is its own sort of thing too so I was trying to figure things out and so I think for me um, the activity if I could name an activity was kind of like observation I think is what led me to poetry and I think for a long time like I mean I'd written poems in school but um, in my more formative years of, of literature I thought that it was something that I just had to learn and observe and not something that was participatory for me and so I ended up um, being home during spring break my junior year and I watched a documentary on the first youth poetry slam I just happened to flip to that station because a guy had a cool hat on mm-hmm. and that's the thing that opened up that door for me before then I didn't know that I could participate um, I thought it was something that had already been done and my task and my sort of contribution was um, rote memorization and regurgitation of analysis of poetry and, and of literature so yeah, I think that's what it was, this observation and then that fateful evening. So that was junior year. And yeah. then you start, what, like, did you start entering Poetry Slams? Yeah. Or like, yeah. Yeah, I, well, I was, I was, you know, in retrospect, I was like, yeah, I was quite a dramatic junior. I remember <laughs> telling my parents, I was like, I don't want any Christmas presents this year. No, no birthday presents. I just want to write poems. I want to go to poetry workshops. And so, like, that's really what it was. I started, um, after I watched the documentary, I was, like, searching on whatever we used in 2000 one or 2002 <laughs> that was not as quick as Google. Like, well, I don't know if it's Ask Jeeves or I don't know who I was asking, right? <laughs> <laughs> and um, found uh, an organization in the Bay Area, the one that was linked to this this um, documentary. And I reached out to them and I started doing workshops, I think two or three weeks after seeing that documentary. And that changed my life. And so, yeah, that was the beginning. That's so cool. Was yeah. that 826 or something different? It was um, Youth Speaks. Oh, and, yeah. uh, and they do a lot with Brave New Voices. And so they're... Um, a, like a spoken word poetry creative writing non um, nonprofit that started in the Bay Area and it's uh, there's different chapters all over but they were I believe um, 826 Valencia is one of their sponsors that helped 826 Valencia come into um, come into being and and I got to work with both of those organizations and so that was really really amazing for me to have support of adults that were like keep going don't stop and what you have to say matters and that was uh, so incredible and I think also kind of lit my path into education eventually. And I think that's part of the reason why I'm excited to be a professor. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I love that. Um, your reading and book launch for this book, Be Do, was at the Contemporary Arts Center in downtown Cincinnati. And I have to say, like, it was such a moving event, which I've shared with you. But also, it was this full space with so many people that adore you. And you made it so special by, like, con- um, having other people a part of the process of the book launch. So there was the friend who um, sang a song in tribute to your sister who'd recently passed away. And she said at the fire, I think she's like, I'm just a veterinarian, yeah. not a singer. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I love her. Yeah. And then um, and then you read poems. And when you got to Bise Do, your mom came up and read with you. And then Roske was a part of the Q&A. And I would just love to hear what was that? night like for you this book that's you know a while in the making and yeah 
Um, it, it was a special night for me, and it was so lovely to have all these different parts of my community with me, folks from Cincinnati, folks from my family flat from California, family from best friends from Indiana, all sorts of folks. And um, and to even just ask, just, you know, would you be able to be a part of this evening? And Hannah, Dr. Hannah Rice, um, who's like, I'm just a veterinarian. <laughs> I didn't write a dissertation, but she like saves like the lives of animals, which is like amazing um, to be able to be a part of that and to um, to sing for my sister and to have Ross show up with, with our friends. Um, and to have my mom, like, I think I was just like reading, uh, I was washing dishes and I was like, what if my mom read the poem with me? You know, and I, and I convinced her somehow. I know she got cold feet at the end. I was like, it's showtime, baby, let's go. Um, um, but it was really special to have these different parts of my world with me. And, and, um, in the absence of my sister, who is so very dear to me, to have her in that space and to have my family in that space and, and by family I mean blood and chosen was really magnificent people I've never met before too and to have the support of the mercantile and the contemporary art center was also really it was you know let me finish that sentence it was awesome and I am grateful because I think um, it felt so seamless because everybody was on board and everybody was excited about bringing this book into into the world in this way and so I'm just grateful for the enthusiasm and the love and I kind of feel like the spirit of the book was enacted in that space in that night and was embodied um insofar as my experience I still feel like I'm trying to figure out what that was because it was so um moving for me and it it um I think I'm still coming to learn what that night meant through my interactions with others and through like looking at videos and through um the photos and so I I'm so moved I've never had a book launch in that way and it was special to have it in this city in Cincinnati that's felt like such um such a home for me mm. you know and, and to think six years I didn't know ago I didn't know how to spell Cincinnati and so you know <laughs> I'm from here and I was like mm, two N's or two T's yes. <laughs> very special <laughs> um I I'm moving around in all of my questions because yeah. I'm just thinking about what emerges as it emerges. But um, I guess maybe we I could talk so readers who haven't read the book might um, want to know a bit about the themes and things that are emerging in the poems. And I'm, you know, some of the things that I see are these like the stories passed down to future generations as like um, storytelling, warning, um, honoring, all kind of mixed up in one. So thinking of... Um, um, oh gosh, thinking of Duddy Box as mm-hmm. an example, and then there's this presence of your mother and her care and her humor and her seriousness, as in mother's rules. Mm-hmm. Um, and then creating the world and feel of Oakland, where you grew up, as in Oakland as home, home as myth, and a lot and memorializing and honoring the dead, as in memorializing Naya Wilson, one hundred blessings, and um, ending ending the book with um, Auntie. Aunt X's son mm-hmm. in that story. Um, and then there's the haiku series, which is often a kind of um, watching something on a bus or something on a train. And mm-hmm. just this, this this tiny moment that is um, being honored mm-hmm. as you witness it and mm-hmm. share it with us. So that's what I see. But I'd love to hear what you see, too. And what yeah. are these? Yeah, this is awesome. And so far as thinking about the things that emerge in the collection, I also am thinking about... Um, movement migrations and so thinking about um part of that the memory keeping and the archiving well archiving and memory keeping is very important in this it's thinking about 
um, what are the stories that travel like over oceans or over land expanses, right? So like my mother's stories, Auntie X's stories, um, thinking about uh, things that, uh, and even mine moving from the Bay Area to the Midwest and thinking about um, how Bloomington figures in this collection in Cincinnati. And so thinking about uh, Midwestern appearances and what they've done for me to understand um, life and humanity. I think something else that emerges here in this collection is is thinking about um, what does it mean to become a writer? Like, what are the things mm-hmm. that, that one lets go of to become a writer? And so one of the things is, uh, how do you dream? How do you hope? And also, what do you let go of? And so there's a, there's a bit of a thread with sobriety that shows up in this also. And so thinking about um, what are the things that that mute us and what are the things that amplify us and part of the amplification for me is it's faith shows up in here as well as meeting amazing people and bearing witness to um, the way that the, the world moves around us and so finding uh, moments of hope in that as well as kind of taking time to think about injustice as well and so those are mm-hmm. some of the the themes that uh, also emerge in the collection also just kind of like people are quirky and so kind of taking time to honor the quirk of people um the quirks of people is something also that's important to me um in this collection and for me as someone who um is first generation american i didn't grow up seeing representations of sierra leoneans like in uh in popular culture in literature and i was like wow it would be awesome to have seen you know um a sierra leonean protagonist you know and part of that is is there is not an abundance of literature and also like my my like ignorance as a child writer you know i don't blame myself for that but just not being able mm. to like navigate or research right yeah um and so those i i wish i would have seen then also more uh positive betray- uh, portrayals of oakland you know and so yeah. i think those two things are really important for me what does it look like to foreground and honor uh sierra leonean american identity as well as oakland identity and so those are things i really wanted to spend time um privileging. Mm, I love yeah. that. I feel yeah. all of those things there. There's that poem um, of the of new sobriety, I think of the Bloomington, Indiana yeah. poem. And mm-hmm. then that's followed by um, a kind of honoring of the two step. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I for my two step. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and what I was something I felt there was this uh, sense of like, um, praising something that's still a little awkward. Yeah, yeah, super awkward. <laughs> let's, let's find names for it, right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. It's such a beautiful poem. Thank there was you. in the, going back to the event mm-hmm. of your reading, uh, my favorite question from the Q&A was someone said, I feel like you're going to know this. They said, how do you love? Yes. And, 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 and I thought, and, and, the, and not only did I, the crowd murmured, like the mm-hmm. crowd was like, yes. And it seems to me that, um, Perhaps there was a shift at some point for you in which like love emerged as this mm. this way of being and maybe even the poems shift your your making of poems shifted. Maybe yeah. it's tied to sobriety, maybe it's something else. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um but I wonder if you could just talk about that. How do you love because you in the answer I think you gave something about witnessing your mother seeing and being with people mm-hmm. um and like how that was how that was there for you but I also just see you loving so much your mother and other things yeah yeah that's and that question was from from Jacob Zimmerman who is a lovely human being um I think for me like and I was thinking about that and I think my mom actually told me that my response was incomplete that (gasps) evening (laughs) oh my gosh (laughs) or that I didn't answer the question um (laughs) here's my redemption round (laughs) yes um (laughs) 
so that's like the eleventh mother rule. Yes, that's um, what I was thinking. Another mom rule. Yeah. <laughs> Answer the question, right? Um, I think uh, I do think it's it's models. You know what I mean? Of just like people around me, and I just if, um, I've been around a lot of people that believe in in humanizing other people, and I've been in spaces that have not humanized people, and so I just think about. And I, I think I mentioned something that my sister Jenna um, said in Jenna Ngadi Kumar, I want to say her whole name, uh, something is uh, her observation was, you know, find the hole in the world and press your heart into the hole. Mm-hmm. And so I think how do you love is kind of thinking about the negative spaces, right? Or thinking about the spaces that um, are the lacuna, things that need to be filled, right? And it comes by virtue of like listening closely and observation and I think asking questions and just really listening to what people are saying. And I, I think that's um, how you find the the holes, you know, and, and how do you love is, again, it's also thinking about the things that have felt best to me and so far as um, receiving love, you mm-hmm. know. And so I, I think it's it's small questions, it's small gestures, it's, it's, a, it's a flower here, a hug there you know, or just letting someone know that, that they're, um, they're on your mind. So it's like little gestures as well as other gestures, like writing about people to me, that's how do you love it? It's like, um, there's a way that we can memorialize and archive people and not necessarily like in their passing, but while they're here, what does it mean to write about someone? What does it mean to, um, and there's all these different ways of, of honoring, um, people and making things, um, feel fixed um, but I think writing is something that allows me to do that. And there's a type of agency um, and establishing of of someone's life or goodness that you can create through writing. And so I think that's some, another place to, to create the loving. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, as you're, I'm smiling and agreeing and I'm still thinking about your mother saying yeah. you didn't answer yeah. the question. <laughs> Did she offer insight as to like what she would have said? No, she just told me that I I didn't do it, and I didn't I didn't further inquire. Right. Um, <laughs> maybe who, I will today. Who wants yeah that added information? Yeah. <laughs> um. Okay, I know you've been asked questions about form, mm-hmm. and um, I I have an MFA in poetry. I started in poetry, and I studied with new formalists, and I. Um, not in my MFA program. It was a great MFA program before that. Um, and I found the training in sound and recognizing sound as very useful, like mm-hmm. iambic pentameter. But I also found there was this constraint. And I, f- I felt this pressure, like the new formalists that were training me were um, older white men. And I was like, ah, yeah. I couldn't break out of it. Um, and I'm I, I would love to hear you. I feel like you've talked about this sense of form as a kind of constraint, but you mm-hmm. also use it. Mm-hmm. Um, so form or sound, can you talk about the rules they form and or sound? Yeah. Um, I, so sound, I, I will start with sound. Yeah. Um, I'm just, it, there's, it's all over the place. It's everywhere. And I think about sounds like, within English and also growing up, like my first language was not English, it was Creole. So thinking about Sierra Leone and Creole sounds and utterances and expressions and syntax and how sometimes in English, my syntax, it, it more, um, it is more 
close to Creole than it is to English. And so thinking about that, and, and sometimes I don't fix that. I'm like, I like the way that looks, right? Yeah. And and I'm thinking also about training. Another thread in this book is, is thinking about life outside of America. So like France and French shows up in this collection too, but even thinking about like what I've learned about um, syntax from French and sequencing in words and the sounds of words and elocution and, and um, enunciation and thinking about how there's so much um, precision with sound that I've picked up from other languages that have helped me um, choose my words or have helped me think about diction too here and thinking about the importance of sonic imagery is something that I, I hold so dear. And so far as, um, so I guess what I'm saying with that, if I, I should finish my thought is, um, sound is so much of, of what I've experienced maybe outside of books. And so it's thinking about the aggregation of sounds like uh, in music, in speech, uh, in, in witnessing random moments in film. And so I think those are part of part of my toolkit. I rely on kind of a multimodal approach to sound. And so far as um, form, I wanted to say that second because I wanted to find nice things to say about form. Um, <laughs> and I don't I think form is cool. I think form is cool. There's there's a, the there's a. Um, some sort of uh, expression that a poet used in the past where he was like, you know, it's cool to be able to like, um, I think swim, but what if you could like, like, s like swim with like a straight jacket on and he was using that as kind of like this um, allusion to form, like mm -hmm. how, how much cooler would it be to, to um, achieve this thing with these sorts of constraints around you? And, um, and I think that's cool. I, I think the thing that happens with form that I've observed so far is that it it um, it kind of uh, it reduces the possibility of creating something better. Mm. And I, I think that's not always the case. I think sometimes uh, you can see it of uh, something that's written in form that is so seamless that you would not be able to tell them that is super impressive. But I don't know how often I see that. Um, and I certainly don't see it for myself. Uh, insofar as form, I think that there's space for new forms too, and I think that there's there's ways that new forms can accommodate something better and can can aid in the creation of something better. And so, for me and 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 Bisedu, I do play with form forms that I think are cool, forms that I create, and I'm excited about uh, seeing the ways that different types of folks from marginalized communities are contributing to the creation of forms. We've seen all kinds of amazing forms um, come into being in the in the last. 15, 20, 25 years. And that's been really awesome to watch. But I think that if I had a beef with form is <laughs> that it precludes uh, possibility mm -hmm. at times. That's one beef. I guess I have two. The other is it's been such an exclusive thing in the past. And it's been um, this sort of invisible, uh, invisible and visible rubric for who could participate and not participate. Uh, in in the creation of form and in the creation of poetry and so I that's hard for me to be a part of and it's hard to think about so many legacies and generations of folks surviving all sorts of things to not be able to participate in poetry mm -hmm. you know and so I think for me it's so important to have the language and to have the training but uh, there's something even more powerful about being a bit iconoclastic with it so, yeah yeah I love that um I'm 
I'm imagining, I so I did the first office hours for the writer in residence program and loved talking to so many different people about the work that they're doing. And um, plug, you can come to the office hours. I'd love to see you. Um, but one of the things I noticed is that people were asking me questions about MFAs or PhDs and if they needed those things or um, how those, they might benefit or that they don't have time to do those now, but they want to be a part of a creative writing community. So I'd just love to hear you. You know, you've suddenly, you've gone through the MFA and a PhD um, and you've worked in communities and you have your own writing community outside of that. So what would you say to people who are like, hmm, what, you know, what are these programs? And yeah, gosh, I'm so very grateful. Uh, and thankful that I had the opportunity to study in both MFA and creative writing, MFA and PhD programs for creative writing. I will say I don't think everyone needs one. I just know that I'm the type of person that needed one. And what's that type of person? I studied as much as I could on my own. And I was like, I don't know what else I can teach myself. And I needed to be around folks that had um, a love and appreciation and a commitment to writing um, that could sort of support my growth in that and I found that in my MFA program and I got to the point in my MFA program where um, a lot of Bisedu well maybe like half of Bisedu had been written in my MFA Mm -hmm. program which was you know a thesis and then there's a, a point where I needed a little bit more time to think through and study and develop myself as as a writer what I will say that I believe the MFA gave me was um an opportunity to, to cultivate myself as a writer. The PhD program gave me the opportunity to cultivate myself as a reader. Mm-hmm. And so I became, and not that my writing stopped in the PhD program, it continued, but I believe I developed a, a greater sensitivity for reading um, in my PhD program. And I am so grateful for being in spaces and in cohorts that had all sorts of different types of writing. No two people are writing the same thing. And so I learned a lot about different ways of of writing a poem that were poems that were narrative poems, lyrical, dramatic poems, and folks that were coming from all these different backgrounds, not just writing backgrounds. And so it was really awesome to have those sorts of communities and also part of the MFA or the Creative Writing PhD was the opportunity to teach also. And so I became a better educator by virtue of the amazing students that I got to work with um, in composition, in classes on intro to creative writing, uh, poetry and fiction, hip hop and poetry. And so it was really special in digital humanities as well. And also I think um, something else that was very important was mentorship. You get to meet all sorts of amazing professors, not only that are in your genre, but folks that are doing all sorts of things. Um, in and out of of creative writing and so that was something that was really important to me was to be able to be in these communities and to take full advantage of all that they had to offer and if I was just spending time uh, I think focusing on just poetry and only being around poets all the time that changes the quality of your writing as opposed to being with fiction writers nonfiction writers folks studying American studies film majors all sorts of things and so there's a little worlds that you can be a part of so I, I feel grateful to have had those opportunities and don't pay for your degrees make sure they're fully funded yes I will second yes 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 (laughs) (laughs) so true so true um you recently received a fellowship from the poet academy of american poets thank you and i would love to hear what you're doing with that i've kind of on social media i have a sense but can you talk about yes so i'm very grateful to have been awarded 
2023 Academy of American Poets Laureate Fellowship. Poets Laureate. There we go. Poets Laureate Fellowship. It's myself and 22 other poet laureates across America who were given um, these grants to create uh, civic minded, uh, community oriented poetry projects. And so mine is called Keep the Lights On. And it is a project in which I work with different communities in Cincinnati to create polyvocal poems. So poems where all the participants are coming together and contributing lines and ideas. Um, and we're working on these poems together. And those poems will eventually be projected against buildings in Cincinnati um, in the spring. And so that's what I'm working on. And this project was inspired by a project I did during Blink of 2022. And this was a project where um, 75 folks from the Northern Kentucky region and Cincinnati, primarily Cincinnati, Northern Kentucky region, contributed lines to the poem. And the question is, what did you discover in this region? And we got all sorts of participants from a four-year-old all the way to um, an 82-year-old. And a really amazing, I like, lines emerged from that and we were able to create a polyvocal poem. I, I sequenced the poem to represent all of their voices. And that was, I think, what a two-week window and all those responses came in. And it was amazing to see how excited folks were to answer to the call. And um, it was an opportunity for folks then to share these ideas and thoughts. And I received some mail from folks that said, I never thought that my thoughts about my like home would be able to be shared with others, you know? And so that means a lot to me that folks um, were doing things that were outside of their comfort zone and um, wanted to share something. And there are a lot of folks around us that are poets, but don't know that they're poets. And so I get um, the lucky opportunity to just kind of um, help showcase that. And so that's what um, I'm working on right now. And I've worked with um, the Mercantile Library and I'll be working with um, Don High School and, and a few other nonprofits and, and schools in the area uh, to uh, have this this project emerge. I love that. Yeah. You're just bringing so much um, appreciation and, and love and creativity to the city. It's fun to have people that that want to be a part of it. And I, again, I'm really grateful to to Blink for allowing me to be a part of that project in, or to, to take on that project in 2022 with Justin Burkhardt, who's doing amazing work with them. So it's an honor. That's that's terrific. Um, we're about done with questions, but um, two things I want to say. One is this book, Be Say Do, is, I think you described it as like a big baby. Yes. Or, <laughs> yes. Um, because if you're listening, you don't know that it is it is a beautiful book and it has a nice size, like maybe double the size yeah, of a eight general. Eight by ten. Yeah. yeah, eight by ten, and one's hand. There are two hands on the cover, and one's hand can you know you can fit if you have a smaller hand. It could oh, be the size yeah, yeah. of the hand and the book, um, and and there are French. What I'm imagining friendship bracelets yeah. on on the wrist of one of the hands, and yeah. I just love this cover. And maybe how did that cover come about? Or yes, yes. what is this? How does this cover work for you? Well, uh, this is a wonderful opportunity to shout out my publishers, Milkweed Editions, who are just the dreamiest <laughs> press. Um, this cover was created um, by Mary Austin Speaker, who is a poet as well as a, a fabulous graphic designer. And um, she read the book and asked me a few questions about, you know, things that are emerging and sort of ideas about the cover. And I gave her um, some ideas and um, some thoughts. And based on what I 
talk about love in the heart. It's like she went right into my heart and pulled this out. And so she gave me different samples um, for, this was the first, actually the first design sample that she gave me. And it was, it was spot on. Wow. And she, we did different things. We we're like, okay, what if she looked like, well, you know, with like uh, maroon nail polish or green nail polish or blue, whatever. And it just, and there are other sort of samples we worked through, but this was the best one. And it means a lot to me because um, not only did I love it, my mother and my three sisters loved it. And so Jenna was a part of this before she passed away. And so this was like a perfect cover. And um, I'm grateful to Mary for just listening so closely and to reading and really um, thinking through what this cover might mean and, and also asked about uh, colors associated with this and the colors. There's a lot of like kind of celestial symbolism and, and daybreak that shows up in this book. And I think that she she felt that and understood it, too. And so. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. how it came to be. It's just like spot on right away. Mm. I'm just like I'm connected to the book by putting my hand there. Mm. I love it. I love that. I've never tried that before. <laughs> I'm gonna. Yeah, I love that. Thank you. Um, let's close out with um, a question. Could do you have a writing exercise you could share with readers, or maybe one that someone gave you that you then worked yes. into the book yes I would love to I would love to so um one that comes to mind I was just thinking about this the other day is mother's rules was based on a prompt that was given to me at given to myself and others at a teaching institute in San Francisco in 20 2011 and I want to give a shout out to Brandon Santiago who's the one who um, put this together and I think he's doing amazing things in Los Angeles now but was think about 10 rules associated with a particular family member and I think uh, first it was thinking about um, things that I would always do for my family like you know one of the rules was like I'll never turn down babysitting my my nephews right and so th that was the first iteration but what it ended up being was I thought about well what are the 10 rules that my mother would say so it started there so I I would charge the wonderful listening audience to think about 10 rules in your family a particular person who has um, either a, a very robust personality that is that cannot be hidden <laughs> maybe your mom <laughs> or someone who is um, a little bit more subtle or seems quiet and you are maybe trying to search parts of their mind or things that you've seen them do but not necessarily say that would lead you to understanding um, their uh, their rules and so I guess with that is think about 10 rules and think about where humor and compassion kind of um, figure into this person and write about them and so yeah I would say do 10 10 rules about a family member or a friend who's had an impression, left an impression on your life. Thank you so much. Yeah. I want to go try that one now. Yes. Yaley, thank you so much for joining us. It's been an honor. My guest today was Yaley Sawina Kamara, author of Be Say Do. Signed copies of Be Say Do are available at Downbound Books in Northside at 4139 Apple Street. Um, and they're also available to check out at the Cincinnati Hamilton County Library, as well as most places books are sold. Thank you. Thank you so much. This has been Inside the Writer's Head. We hope you'll keep joining us for in-depth conversations with writers and other lovers of books, journalism, libraries, and literary arts. 
The Writer-in-Residence program is made possible through the support of the Library Foundation. Learn more about the program and upcoming events at chpl.org WIR. Thanks for listening. Thank you.